Welcome to Sykes, the bottom line pharmacy podcast, your regular dose of pharmacy CPA advice to fuel your bottom line, featuring pharmacists, key vendors, and other innovators. Your checks, yes, you call me, because we the best Sykes and company. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the bottom line pharmacy podcast. Today, we are happy to have Paul Shelton with Pharma Complete uh, with us today, and we're going to be talking about I imagine some long-term care topics um, that are hot on the uh, press right now. I know we just got back from NCPA, Paul. I think I saw you there. Mm -hmm. And um, and long-term care was definitely on the uh, the agenda there. There was a lot of uh, activity around long-term care. Um, Lots of sessions on that. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of activity with our clients with long-term care. Uh, why don't you give us your little take, if you will, on uh, NCPA and and what uh, you know what what you got out of that and, and where long term care is headed in the pharmacy space here going forward? Yeah, absolutely, Scotty. So there's a few things that are happening in long term care that are I think leading to the the influx of new long term care and com- specifically combo shop pharmacies that we're seeing, like in your clientele and my clientele. I mean, it's 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 a lot of pharmacies are looking at long-term care and, and what they're seeing is they're like, we're already doing this, right? Like they've been doing it for years. They just mm-hmm. weren't getting paid appropriately for it because there wasn't the methodology to do that. And so what I saw at NCPA and heard over and over and over was, oh, wait, I've got 20, 30, 50 of these patients in my book of business already. And we just, yep, absolutely you do. I mean, we've looked at probably 400 pharmacies in the last call it six months, doing long-term care at home assessments. And that's really what we're seeing is that long-term care at home, but then also group homes, assisted livings. I mean, we're seeing a lot of growth in that in the community space. And so what what we got from NCPA was every single pharmacy we did an evaluation for, for long-term care at home, we found at least 50 to 60 patients in their book of business, low-hanging fruit people that they were like, oh yeah, well, Miss Jones and Miss Margaret and and Miss Mildred over there, they're they're all they're all long-term care. Those are long-term care home patients, and and so now it's just helping people get access to the right payment structure for those, the reimbursement structure for those, and that was really the message at, at NCPA was, hey, you're already doing the work. Um, CMS has put out guidance that's appropriate for plans and payers to pay appropriately for this now. We're starting to see some movement with both um, ESI and Optum at the time of recording. So if you're watching this more than about six months from now, we'll probably see something different at that point. But if it's in the next few weeks and we're seeing ESI and Optum are actually paying slightly more um, in the form of no DAR fees for those claims. Um, And of course, the other big, big news at NCPA was DAR fees are going away. Um, they're not just so we're on the same page. They're just not being called DIR fees anymore. And you're just getting worse reimbursement at point of sale. It same methodology. It, it's, you know, DIR fees were a symptom. They were not a, they, they're a symptom of a root problem, which is improper reimbursement for community pharmacy. Um, they were just one of the symptoms. They weren't the actual root cause. And so that was kind of what I saw was the two big messages from NCPA was how can you deal with the DIR cliff that's happening? Um, yep. We've heard it called the DIR Mageddon, the DIR <laughs> apocalypse, um, you know, but it's, it's, that's what we're seeing, right? That's the big gap is how do we overcome January, February, March. And yep. one of the ways a lot of pharmacies are doing it is they're, they're 
finally getting paid appropriately for what they're doing already for their long-term care at home patients. Yeah. So a lot yeah. of, a lot of these pharmacies, you know, like you said, they're pretty much all of them have some long-term care patients. They're, they're yep. servicing already. Um, Absolutely. So it's just, it's just a matter of fact of, of getting into that reimbursement, uh, getting reimbursed properly for that. Um, <clears throat> and I know, uh, you know, the combo shops, a lot of pharmacies are doing that. They start getting paid, uh, appropriately for what they're doing for those mm -hmm. patients. Um, where do you see that uh, going into the future? I mean, are we going to see uh, more reimbursement for uh, maybe some skilled at home services? You know, where where does this go? What opportunities do you think are, are ahead for pharmacies um, in the future here? Well, so part of Part of what we're doing at PharmaComplete is we're working with an, another organization um, called Centennial Management Group to create the Long-Term Care at Home Pharmacy Network. And the intent of that network is exactly what you're talking about, Scotty, is to help raise awareness for what these pharmacies are doing and to encourage payers through long-term care PSAOs, so through Gerimed, Innovatix, MHA, through those long-term care PSAOs, get them paid appropriately for the work that they're doing. Um, when you look at it by the numbers, right, there were 14 or so million patients last year that had some long-term care paid for by CMS. So there's only about 3.1 million beds in the United States. So where were the rest of those patients, right? Okay, so let's say let's assume another million cycled through skilled nursing beds, all right? So now we're down to 10 million patients that were serviced in their home. Well, that means every community pharmacy in the country should be able to find 50 to 50 to 60 patients inside their pharmacy. Just again, basic math, 50 to 60 patients within their pharmacy should be available to them that are long-term care at home patients. And if they're doing the work, which is, you know, provide all the, the, the 10 criteria from CMS, eight of which apply to, to community pharmacy and long-term care at home, um, you know, specialized packaging, comprehensive inventory, all those, those 10 CMS guidelines. Uh, guidelines. If they're doing that work, they're providing specialized packaging like a, um, a multi-dose compliance packaging or, or unit-dose compliance packaging of some sort, and they're providing delivery. In addition, they're doing the med reconciliations that are required within skilled nursing. If they're meeting that level of care, they should be getting paid for that level of care, right? Yeah. It's, it's For the longest time, we've looked at the patient residence code as it you know, oh, that's a level of service. It's not. It's a patient residence code. And so what we have to do is figure out how to get pharmacies paid for the work they're doing based on the patients being in their own home with either level of effort or level of service uh, modifier on there. Mm -hmm. Without Does that the make DR sense? <laughs> exactly. No DR. And that's it. It's like even today, um, like I said, Optum and ESI are, are paying retail rates with no DAR fees and, and ESI is even putting a little bit of a dispensing fee on there as well for these patients. And that makes a huge difference. I mean, you're talking eight to 10% difference in reimbursement <clears throat> on top of that, another two dot two to $3 in dispensing fees per claim. That is material. I mean, you're seeing in some cases a, a, a nine to 10% shift in gross margin on these claims or on, on for these pharmacies on these claims. And, when, you know, especially doing what you guys do, you think about a pharmacy going from a, a 20 and 19 to 20% gross operating margin going up to a 27, 28% gross operating margin. Uh, game changer. You know, that's game changing. It, it's yeah. completely game -changing. fundamentally shifting the whole, that whole space. And so 
if half your claims go up by 10%, you're up at 25, 26% again. All of a sudden, you've got breathing room to pay people to be able to deal with the increased labor costs that we're dealing with, increased service costs, and of course, the increased cost of service these patients because there is things you, there are things you have to do that are a little bit different. So, Paul, what would a independent pharmacy that is interested in looking to see kind of maybe the amount of patients that would qualify for something like this? Yep. What's the first steps to to going to working on that? Absolutely. So it's a great question. First first step really is okay. You know. We've been talking about this for probably six years, but do you have a MedSync program? If you have a MedSync program, you probably got long-term care at home patients in the MedSync program. Yeah. And and you probably can just think about, okay, which are the patients that I deliver to because I have to, not because I want to, if that makes sense. Right. It's like not because it's an ease of use for them. It's they can't get out of the house to come in farms. Those are your long-term care at home patients right there. I mean, and, and again, most, most pharmacies can find 50 to 60 of those easily. Um, PharmaComplete actually has a tool we call long-term care at home assessment, where we actually will look at your claims data for the last 30 days and pull out the bins and PCNs that are affected by this and can give you a rough idea of dollars that your pharmacy can actually capture. Nice. Um, it's not at all necessary. I mean, you don't have to do it by any means, but it's, it's a, we have a very, very reliable tool that says this is what we are able to find for you and most pharmacies though if they've got a sync program they're already doing some packaging already that's their that's their starting point that's their beginning book of business also any patients you have are in group homes those are those are long-term care automatically those are assisted living reimbursement which again you know no dir fees adds to between two and a half and four dollars for a dispensing fee that's real money um you're, you're talking eight to nine dollars per prescription in, in found revenue there. And the and these patients have a lot of prescriptions typically. Mm-hmm. Multiple prescriptions. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's usually uh, not a one prescri- prescription type of scenario. No, here. They, these are yeah. almost always seven, eight, nine, yeah. more more. I mean, my chief of staff is her dad's a great example. Um he's on twenty seven medications, can't drive himself safely. I mean he not saying he doesn't try to drive on the tractor or get in the, you know, drive out <laughs> to uh, drive to the pharmacy, but he shouldn't be, right? He's right. He, he's 27 medications, insulin twice a day. He's a prime example of the person that, that your pharmacy's looking for because, you know, he uh, he also, you know, is is kind of stubborn and doesn't want to have people think that he's, he's sick. And so, you know, he was very reticent to take compliance packaging. And one of the things that we found very effective, and, and not just with him, but with other patients, is um, let the patient know, hey, there's a benefit that your insurance will pay for that you're not taking advantage of. And fun story, people are like, wait, I'm not getting something I'm supposed to. They want the free that, stuff. Yeah. Exactly. I need that. That, that oh, needs yeah. to be for me. And, and, so, and so the patients are embracing it more now, again, because it's a benefit. It, they're leaning into this a little bit more, and we found it much easier to to get them to accept the care and the and the concern. And so, looking at his health history for the six months prior to him receiving uh, compliance packaging, he was in the hospital once a month, every single month. It was for something different every single time, but he was in the hospital once a month for six months. Mm. He's been on compliance packaging for the last six months. Has been in the hospital one time. So that's what we're doing. That's what this process is doing is you're literally providing differentiated and better care for your patients and reducing their overall health care costs. That's why we think there's a huge opportunity here to talk to payers and PPMs and say, 
pay us to do this, we'll reduce your overall healthcare costs. This is where care is going. I mean, and that, that generation's getting older. There are just going to be more people filling yeah, in. I mean, absolutely. Just, and like you just yeah. mentioned, that always at the forefront is patient care. That's right. And so this also helps with that, like you mentioned, with your father in law that's, you know, because he was on the med sink and yep. now he had the packaging. Yep. He's able to take his medications like he's supposed to, and then he's not in the hospital as much. So that's right. I yeah. mean, it's it's the win win really yeah, all the way around. Absolutely, it's a win win. The patient's healthier. The pharmacy, the, so the the pharmacy is healthier because the other thing this does, and this is something that like, we really, I don't think many people have talked about, is when you go to this model, it by definition has to be a med sync model. It by definition has to be a packaged model, which means it's proactive, not reactive. So part mm -hmm. of the reason that we feel like when we're in a community pharmacy, our hair's on fire is because everything is reactive. We're waiting for patients to call us. We're waiting for patients to walk in the door and tell us they need their prescriptions. Well, this model is proactive by definition. So we're reaching out to a patient. We're saying, hey, you know, Scotty, it's been, let's say, you know, it's been 26 days or 25 days since your last meds were delivered to you. Is it okay for me to go ahead and start working on that for you? I'll have them packed for you and delivered tomorrow. So now you know exactly when that's going to happen. We actually recommend calling 10 days ahead of time, getting permission to ship. Once you have that, now you have 10 days to work on the process. And so by making it a proactive model, it also reduces your staffing burden. You can put these prescriptions on days that are lighter in your work week. So in, in the South, especially, Wednesday afternoons has always been the lightest time in a pharmacy because every Wednesday in the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, every doctor in town took the Wednesday afternoon off to go play golf. <laughs> That's just, that was Fun what fact. they did. Fun fact. <laughs> they just didn't work on Wednesday afternoons. Trivia. Trivia. I mean, and this is, this is consistent across North and South Carolina, on that, Georgia. Scotty. Right? How do you, yeah. how do you, that's a I'll cool trick. Day afternoons for golf. Day afternoon, right? yeah. <clears throat> so what they did is now you've got this lull in Wednesday afternoon in the pharmacy because no one's prescribing. Well, that lull has carried forward 25, 35 years. It's usually still the quietest time in the pharmacy. So if you do your packaging proactively on the quiet times, you don't have to have as many people in the pharmacy for your busy times. Because again, your Mondays, instead of being 170% of every other day, now become 110% of every other day and your staffing becomes more normalized. Is compliant, compliance packaging required with long-term care setting here? I'll, Absolutely. I'll, I've gotten yep. mixed. Okay. That's yeah. Well. So, the, so unequivocally <laughs> it is, even if a patient is offered compliance packaging and does not accept it, you cannot bill that patient as a long-term care patient. Okay. So there are 10 requirements for CMS <laughs> and one of them is what's called specialized packaging. What that means is not vials. Yeah. And so you cannot bill a long-term care claim if it's filled in vials. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> I'd confused that in the past, so I'm glad you clarified that. Listen, huh. I don't know why anyone doesn't want that. Um, my husband's 42 years old. He takes three medications a day. And, um, I mean, our local pharmacist does not do compliance packaging, but I do it myself for him. Mm -hmm. Look, I mean. And the little thing, because he will. He'll take it if it's like that. But if he has to open, so, God forbid, he has to open three whole bottles. You those know. are my meds. I took my meds this morning. So it says Wednesday right there. So I know I took my Tuesday meds. So I, I mean, that's I mean, how I get, I get, I get four, four meds a day and a vitamin. And it's compliance package because it's easy for us traveling. You talk about going to NCPA. 
You tear Perfect. off five packs, you throw it in your briefcase, and you're good. I mean, it's yep. it's the easy button. And, you know, am I a long-term care at home patient? No, I am not, because I can go <laughs> to the pharmacy. You. you know, even though they compliance package it and deliver it to my house, I obviously am not a long-term care at home patient. So that's another kind of, that's another, you talk about things that, that have gotten tossed out there that are a little bit different. You know, one of the things we have to clarify is a long-term care patient, by definition, needs support in two activities of daily living. So either a basic or, or a, um, it's a BADL and IADL, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got to have two activities of daily living support. The other thing you've got to have is one of those has to be they can't transport themselves safely, right? Like they can't leave their house, drive to the store, go shopping, come home and, and make lunch for themselves, um, and so there's a couple different I, uh, ADLs in there that, um, that that can qualify for that, um, but it's really they can't. They should not to be a qualified long-term care home patient. They should not be able to leave the home on their own. Now, if they have to coordinate care and travel to get to the pharmacy, that still qualifies them because they can't transport themselves. Right. So Thank even you. if they have a, a relative that can pick it up for them, they can yep. still qualify. Right. Yep. Exactly. Oh, I had someone was going to ask. I, I know someone who, I think Scotty and I both know someone who might need that, that drops their pills all over the floor every day. Probably misses some. Who? Hey. Can't say on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't even know that the packaging would help because still you have to open it. And if you miss one yep. when it comes in your mouth, it. Yeah. I do know. Something I completely different I have been that. on um, trips <laughs> and stuff and I've gone in the bathroom and there's pills on the floor, you know, like prescription medicine that's yeah right. people do it for sure and they had they weren't taking it they needed to take it they forgot but i don't know what packaging yeah. can do about that we'll have to come up with something completely different for actually making it from the package to your mouth yeah. so there's some really interesting technologies out there right now that they can look at like did you recover the package right like did you take the pack um, and, and there's one that does a card that's like it's a card and you can pop open a little canister and take the little thing out. Very cool stuff. There's others that use strip packaging. But getting it to make sure it's been ingested, you know, there are there are technologies that can do that, but they're really expensive. So unless it's especially medication, most of the time they're not they're not tracked. Right. And so, yeah, to your point, it's like I can I can get it into your hand. I can't make it go into your <laughs> It can mouth, go in there. You know? That's the only yeah. Do you um you have to certify, you know, there need, I'm guessing pharmacies and I've seen this where uh, you need to have some form of a, like a sheet that confirms yep. they are, they meet those ADL or mm-hmm. whatever requirements they need to. Yeah, I think best practice here, it, right now it's not required, Scotty. So to, to answer your question is, is, do I have to? No, you don't have to, but just because you don't have to doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Um, and in, in this case, I do think that the the best practice is absolutely to <clears throat> excuse me the best practice is absolutely to have an attestation form that says these are the these are why this patient qualifies now there's there's two ways to qualify a patient one is if they're on a medicare or medicaid waiver program so like an age blind disabled program or an idd waiver program so a 1915c home and community based waiver program um, or they have access to Medicare before 65 or in a qualifying program to get access to Medicare before 65. So again, disabled patient, um, a patient who's actively receiving dialysis, um, there's a dialysis waiver program um, for um, 
end-stage renal disease, those would all qualify automatically as a long-term care at home patient. The second way to do it is through the activities of daily living and chronic conditions. And that's where you have two IADLs or BADLs, and there's those are commonly listed. I think it's a total of 11 different conditions that can qualify or 11 different mm-hmm. criteria there. And then you've got three or more chronic conditions. Well, as a pharmacist, most pharmacists can look at the medications the patient's on and say, okay, well, Yep, this person's on three, got three, three or more chronic conditions because I see diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia are all being treated right here. So, okay, cool. You know, you clearly, um, clearly need this uh, support. If that makes right. sense. What um, so pharmacies that are haven't gotten into a combo shop situation, they do know they have some patients. Um, I guess what are the uh, roadblocks you guys see or what are the common pitfalls or the yeah. common bumps in the road to getting set up and started? I know from our perspective, we see receivables being a big thing because um, you have the separate, I think it's MPI number. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so you have a separate receivable you know, situation there. Um, but from your end, what, what, what do you see as uh, kind of those bumps in the roads to getting started there? Well, exactly what you said, the second MPI and NCPDP. Yeah. I mean, it is it is an easy process if you happen to have about 35 hours of free time to go through and do this. But I've yet to meet a pharmacy owner who was just sitting around twiddling their thumbs with, looking for something to do, right? Like, That's again, impossible. Yeah, that... most, most pharmacy owners are in they're, – they're using – they're in a community pharmacy, which is still in a reactive state, right? So they're and, – and this is not – I mean, that's, that's probably 95% of the pharmacies out there are reactive right now. And that's that's the practice of pharmacy. Um, and so because they're in that reactive state, there's always a fire that needs to be put out. There's always taking, taking two hours to sit down and fill out the pre-enrollment questionnaire for CVS and then making sure it's filed correctly and then seeing the email from CVS when it comes in and then filling out the 87 page or whatever stupid number of pages it is for the application for CVS. They just don't have time to do it. It's just, it's this ridiculous onerous process. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is they'll sell, they'll, they'll select a partner like Jeremed or, or Innovatix and, and they'll say, okay, I've got a partner now. I've got my GPO and PSAO. Great. And they'll sign up and they'll get set up, but then they don't actually go through the credentialing process. And we've got tons and tons of examples of pharmacies that are sitting on 100 to 200 patients that they know qualify, but the owner can't take the time. Owner or manager doesn't have the ability or can't take the time to get that paperwork done. And so this is a big enough problem that we actually created a division of PharmaComplete that does nothing but that. So it's literally nothing but a credentialing organization. So it's called Simplify Enrollment. And we literally partner with pharmacies to get their enrollment done. And it takes the average pharmacy between 35 and 40 hours to do the paperwork. It, it, it doesn't, if you do it all day, every day, it doesn't take that long, right? So we have some ways to, to speed the process. Um, right now, credentialing is taking between 90 and 120 days, depending on uh, the pharmacy. And if they're... Quicker than you know, I thought it would be. Yeah, well, it's it's they've actually sped up pretty dramatically. So when we first started doing simplify enrollment um, two years ago, our average turn time this is the time from the time we start the process to the time it's back from ESI usually is, ESI is the slowest 
to get our full credentialing mm-hmm. package back. We were looking at usually about six months. Yeah. Um, now it's, and which is, I mean, that's ridiculous. It, it, yeah. This is an already credential pharmacy. Like they're already in the system. <laughs> they're just doing it under a new NPI and NCPDP. Mm-hmm. Like why, why would it take this long? It, 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 you know, it's a whole different conversation, but we're, we're getting, we're seeing that time now down to about 90 to 120 days. Um, we've seen some come back as fast as 35 days. Just nice. depends on how quickly you're turning the paperwork and who's who's putting it in. I mean, we've got a, a customer of ours up in New York City. So all of New York City is a heat zone. So, of course, there, there's all the extra paperwork you have to do for heat zone. But, you know, he submitted his paperwork about 45 days ago, and he's probably in the last, the final stage with the SI after having a, a good back and forth around the heat zone paperwork. Right. So, you know, we are seeing it happen a little bit faster sometimes. Um, and that's the one we're not working on. That's just a, he's he's a customer in another format for a pharma complete. So he's doing that paperwork himself. So it's 100 percent possible for pharmacies to do this themselves. We strongly encourage them to. But if they can't, we do have a solution to help them fix it. So, Paul, <clears throat> when you have a startup, mm-hmm. would you suggest that any of these startups I work with a lot of startups um, mm-hmm. just to go ahead and do this right out of the gate? Absolutely. Even if they don't really know if they're going to have a lot of well, that or just maybe for the future, they have it in case. And then they so won't what, have to go through that process. Great question, first off, because there there are some pros and cons to this. So if you start too early and you, you don't put a claim through the, the long-term care PSO ah. for 60 days, um, ESI and CVS will deroster you. Of course. So you've got to have, of course, yeah. How can we make this as hard as possible? Oh, wait, we figured it out. Um, and so, so what they've done, what I would recommend they do is get set up with Jerry meds, get set up with Innovatix, um, or MHA again, all three of the, the long-term care GPOs can, can help with this, get set up with your GPO partner of choice. And once that's done, then once you identify patients, go ahead and go through the credentialing process. Okay. So if you're a startup pharmacy, the other thing to do too, the interesting thing around startups is this should just be your default process. So every time a patient walks in the door, they, if they're on more than two medications, it's not a, would you like to be on our synchronization program? It's right. They get you're to start fresh. Synch- you're on you're sync. On, we you're on here. sync. Hey, fun story. This is the only way we fill prescriptions. <laughs> um, you know, we've got, we've got some great partner pharmacies that we work with that that's their method, man. That, and, and it's crazy. It has like to the, be. Yeah. We, we're talking 2,200, 2,300 patients in one pharmacy. Average patient load is about nine prescriptions per per um, patient. And, and we're seeing ridiculous gross margins on this pharmacy because every patient is synchronized. Every patient gets packaging. Every patient gets delivery. And where appropriate, they bill it through a long-term care PSO. And we're not, they bill it through the retail. But the interesting thing about this, Every patient gets 12 refills a year, every single one. And so when you look at their performance metrics, it's through the roof. And they're filling for 2,200 patients, 26,000 or so prescriptions a month with three people. So they're using automation. They've got two fulfillment techs that are using the automation. A third fulfillment tech is doing all non-oral solids. Okay, that's a thousand prescriptions a day for those in the that's cheap me. seats. Think about doing that in a community, traditional community pharmacy in reactive mode. It's not possible with just three people. You're right. I mean, just it, it's best techs in the world. You can't do that with three people. 
because yeah. you're constantly having to and, and again that's just the fulfillment process with three people that's not the the whole process they're not doing data entry you're not doing outreach someone else does that but their operating model is much more like a long-term care pharmacy where they have a call center that's calling out to the pharmacies or calling out to the patients and so it's really weird being in that pharmacy because you can be there for four or five hours and only hear the phone ring once an hour twice an hour and if you go to any other community pharmacy it's ringing off the, i mean it's just yeah. like constantly ringing i mean and yeah. it's just 